Another week is already here. Welcome back. This is episode 41, and as promised, we'll start with my beginnings at William & Mary. Then, we'll be back at the office and share more adventures. Thank you for continuing with me on the journey, and so, here we go. I have been trying to rustle up some photos for this period, and alas, there are few for this time period for some reason. I started at William & Mary in the spring of 1990. Since a large percentage of doctoral students in higher education were working professionals, all of the courses started at 5 p.m., or maybe 4.30, I now can't remember. The second session, if you had a course that started back-to-back, -back, that was at 8 p.m. or so, and it was a convenient program, albeit a long day if your schedule had courses the same day. Generally, I only went to the 5 p.m. offerings, and my cohort group had about a dozen or so that started the program when I did. There were two other active-duty military members, one Army and one Coast Guard. That was a good group of people because in many ways we were all in the same boat, being working professionals and fitting in our education. Most of the professors in the School of Education were in secondary education, with a likely track of being either an administrator or possibly researcher or professor. In the higher education program, we had very distinguished faculty, and I was assigned Dr. Thielen, who was the department chair. We really did connect on that first walk about campus. He was jovial and one of the most prolific writers of both books and referee journal articles of anyone, even to this day. Having your advisor as the department chair certainly had some benefits, as you'll see later as we go down the road. Interestingly, his main focus was the history of higher education, and history just, well, it wasn't my main suit. More on that later. Several other professors in the program were adjuncts from within the administration of the college, and we had one visiting professor because one of the primary professors, Dr. Roger Baldwin, earned a sabbatical to conduct research for a year at the National Science Foundation. I very much remember my first course with Dr. Baldwin. It was the Curriculum of Higher Education. I got my first paper back and I had red ink spilled all over it. It was well earned because, well, I misspelled curriculum throughout the entire paper. I figured quickly I needed to buckle down. I'm not in Kansas anymore. At this point in technology, spell check was a manual process. You know what a manual process is? You read the paper and see if everything is spelled correctly. The discipline was incredibly interesting. Many of my cohorts had a background in higher education, either through formal education or experience. Being back in the classroom was wonderful. I definitely picked the right discipline, and every class was an adventure in expanding my lens into this new dynamic arena. Before I leave this section for now, a doctoral program typically has required coursework, very little room for electives, followed by an oral and written exam. It's at this point you may have heard people say they are ABD, or all but dissertation. It's a horrible phrase, because many do not ever complete the dissertation, and in effect, they have poor coursework as a postgraduate. After the comps, the next step is writing a book, or your dissertation. 
I have some stumbling blocks along the way, and our class also paved the way forward for classes that followed. I'll share those stories in upcoming episodes because I was right in the middle of those. It'll be a glimpse into both the transition of technology at William & Mary as well as, once again, having mentors that gave me more support than I likely deserved. By now, you know our offices were busier than ever. As we were getting ready to merge into the new command, Air Combat Command, I was involved with two pretty memorable experiences. Remember that new command would be headquarters at Langley Air Force Base and commanded by the current TAC commander. The official word from both the Pentagon and our commander was that it is not a takeover. Rather, it was a merger of equals. For those in SAC, that message kind of rang hollow as they saw it as a takeover by TAC. I'm pretty sure if I was in SAC, I would have been in that camp too. For me, I was really glad that I would not have to move to Nebraska. Since the two branches with the most work to do with the merger and the MWR and services integration happening about the same time were in my branch and the comptroller's branch. So the comptroller and I went to Offa Air Force Base. My first reaction, again, I'm glad I didn't have to move to Nebraska. We got in pretty late, so we checked into lodging and had to find a place to eat. Unlike Langley, there's not a lot right outside the gate, as Bellevue is a fair distance from the base, so we started driving. Where? We don't know. (laughs) It was long before GPS or mobile phones with Waze. The plan was to stop when we saw something of interest. We drive and find ourselves crossing a river. Hmm, I wonder what river that is. It's pretty big. Finally, we see a lighted sign. As we pull up, we're not too sure. Diane and I decide that it looks like it's our only choice, and we were getting hungry, and it was getting late. As we enter the restaurant, we become a little more cautious. To end the suspense, it's a biker bar and restaurant, and we're not in Nebraska. We are in Iowa. How did we get to Iowa? Anyway, while we were definitely out of place, a white woman and an Asian-American man, the few customers there were very friendly. And clearly, since we weren't locals, we had some nice conversations. So we asked, what was that river we crossed? It was the Mississippi. (laughs) Okay. The food was great, and we enjoyed chatting with the locals. The establishment, (laughs) they offered gift certificates. So, for fun, we each bought a $1 gift certificate as a memento of our visit. The next day, we had a story to tell. Well, no question there was the you're-taking-over-us attitude. At the end of the day, we had to start the process of the new world for all of us. Since none of the financial analysis staff was moving to Langley, I had to make a good relationship, so when my team started calling them for information and the new process, they would be met with friendly team members. As if we weren't already transitioning in almost every aspect of the organization, Congress stepped in to help us even more. 
It was about this time that Congress was concerned about how much tax money was being paid for certain MW activities. It pops up fairly often in the process of appropriation. While we had a majority of NAF employees, there were still expenses that were being paid for by the taxpayer. Just some examples included program managers like at the clubs and golf courses, there were utilities and maintenance that was being paid by the base infrastructure programs that were in place for everyone. To make a long story short, Congress decided that MWR activities would be divided into three categories. Category A would be mission essential, like fitness centers and libraries, and fully funded by the taxpayer. Category B would be mission-enhancing activities, like recreation centers, youth centers, and child development centers, and would receive a mix of funding, with generally more funding from appropriated funds. Category C would be business activities, like clubs, bowling centers, golf courses, and food outlets. These all would receive no appropriated fund going forward. It's a huge change. Imagine if you owned a business and expenses that you received gratis now had to pay for, like the manager, utilities, and maintenance. Immediately, many facilities would report a financial loss without changes to prices and huge efficiencies. Congress had variable rules for overseas bases, small bases, and remote bases like those well outside a major metropolitan area. That was one of our first tasks to figure how many of our bases could fit in these variables. It affected one branch more than others. Mine. We had to develop metrics, tracking, reporting, and everything in between. Before this, if a base was losing too much money, they would have to do a get well plan locally. Now, those plans had to be reviewed by headquarters and officially approved or disapproved based on what was realistic. And believe me, some of those plans came in and we're going, there's no way that's a reality. All of these required significant coordination with the program managers, so we had to work with those across the directorate. Perhaps more than the merger of MWR and services or the transition to Air Combat Command, this change in funding increased our workload by a significant amount. It more than doubled. Because of the high visibility of this mission change, there was a tension made by several government oversight organizations, and my branch was highlighted as an achievement for our analyses by the GAO, or Government Accounting Office. With that broad outline of how our financial analysis office changed, we had to create metrics for the four-star to approve. That would be something that would be a really big project, and maybe an opportunity. Of course, the entire command had metrics that we had to report quarterly to the commander, and Colonel Horning would present all of our metrics at a quarterly update. As you would expect, since our new changes were made by Congress, both the Pentagon and our four-star would be very interested and very involved. Those early annual reports that we created would come into play in a big way, and I kind of say that with an evil grin. 
At the time, the command used PowerPoint to create the graphs. They were managed by the command metrics office, and I don't remember the name of the office. But all metrics slides across the directories were standardized in color, font size, and all forms of chartmanship, as you would expect. We followed suit. That infamous annual report was made in freelance, the competition for PowerPoint at the time, and was a program that was made by Lotus. I liked that program far better because for charts and graphs, it was more accurate and it allowed me to create the reports instead of just a slide presentation. After doing some research, one of the features of the program was to generate a regression analysis. I didn't really know what that was. <laughs> I still don't really know how it's computed. Yet I knew that it would compare one set of variables to the summary set of variables, so I figured it would compare each base to the overall command, and that seemed like a good thing. Are you still with me? I'm trying to create metrics to measure our bases and future bases across new parameters from the congressional mandate as well as the regular metrics that we've been doing all along. I'm pretty imaginative and pretty creative as well. What I do have is a mathematical mind. You want to keep that in mind. So I come up with this regression analysis to measure the basis. The good thing was, or interesting thing was, that Colonel Horney did know what regression analysis was, and he was both impressed and in complete agreement that would be a great measure when we sent our drafts up for approval. With the green light, I proceed to create my metrics. Each quarter, everyone had to report how each metric compared to the previous quarter, by base. I created my new metrics in freelance. Why? It was easier for me. I also changed how we reported the previous quarter. In the past, across the top of the chart, above each bar for the base, there would be a triangle, up or down, and that represented the previous quarter and the trend from the last week, or the last quarter rather. The new charts put the triangle up and down on the actual bar in the graph indicated where it was before, and that provided more information, right? Now you knew where it was before, and it was up or down to where it is this quarter. Then I changed how the overall chart looked to be more aesthetically nice. The new metrics were coordinated with our program managers, the division chiefs, and of course, Colonel Horney. He liked them. Actually, he liked them a lot. So I prepared the charts for the presentation to the four-star for approval. The cover slide conformed to the command protocol, and then my new slides reported the actual metrics that Colonel Horney was to deliver in the briefing. I get a call from the command chief of staff, Brigadier or one-star General Stein. He calls me to his office. Gosh, I hope I have a tie in my drawer since I have to go to the main building. Phew, I do. I go over and am obviously nervous. Remember how I said some things you do early in your career follow you forever? Well, this is one example. General Stein, by chance, was the quarterback at the Air Force Academy when they won some championship all those many, many years ago. People still came up to him and said, Great game, Paul. Hmm, that is a long time ago. In our meeting, he says, 
You're going to make the presentation to General Russ. What? Uh, no, I think Colonel Horney is going to do that. Nope, I already told Colonel Horney that it would be great for you to do the briefing. Oh my goodness, I got set up by the boss. Okay, I'm thinking that it will be General Russ, General Stein, Colonel Horney, and maybe Colonel Anthony, our deputy. So I'm in service dress, of course, nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, standing at the podium. The conference room is large because it is the commander's conference room. One general shows up, another general, another general, another general, six or so colonels, some civilians, and some strap hangers or those who sit around the room but not at the table. My palms are sweating. I am really nervous. General Russ walks in the room from his adjacent office. Everyone rises. And General Stein introduces me to General Russ. I take a deep breath. Okay, I probably took two deep breaths. I look at Colonel Horney and he gives me a nod of positive energy. So I start. And surprisingly, I get going because obviously I knew the information. In good Air Force fashion, I opened up with my three bullet points and started to talk a little bit about the background. I turn and the next slide is already on the screen and I didn't press the, I didn't press the clicker. What I didn't know is that the commander has a button on the edge of the table where he sits so he can flip slides when he is ready to move on. Okay, now I know. The first slide comes up and very pointedly he says, Captain, those are not my triangles. Okay, another deep breath. I say, no, General, they're better. You could hear a pin drop. I walk out from behind the podium and start walking toward the General. And as I'm walking up, I say, these triangles do more. Not only do they say what direction the base is going in from last quarter, it also shows the trend year to date and where the metric was. He pauses, and by this time, I'm about four feet from his chair, which is as far as I had planned to go, and I wait for him to respond. After the pause, he looks directly at me and says, I like it. Continue. I walk backwards back to the podium and finish the briefing. Ever since that briefing, when I'm briefing a senior principal, I walk around and abandon the podium, make a personal contact, and so far... It has been pretty successful. So the briefing is done. I made it. Wait, the general gets up and I'm wondering, when do we know if it's approved? He stops in the doorway, turns around, waves his hand up and says, all approved, and continues to his office. <laughs> so that's how it works. I'm pretty excited and then not so excited. Several of the principals, mostly generals, asked me, what is that program? My staff is going to call you. And, and they did. Then the program manager comes up to me and says, and why didn't you coordinate the changes to the charts with us? And all I was thinking was, hey, it's all approved. The whole command had to change to freelance for a short while. Eventually, I think it was maybe four months, we went back to PowerPoint. Still with the chartmanship that I created that fateful day. 
my phone did ring off the hook on how to do freelance and also from bases calling how they compute their regression and how they stood each month. Well, if you know what regression analysis is, they can't. You have to have the consolidated information that only we had at the command. It was actually a pretty good benefit in some ways. Only we could get all the information. So people would go over my head. And Colonel Horney's response was this. Just worry about keeping your metrics in line and you'll be fine. If you're outside the parameters, you'll know that without worrying about the regression analysis. He provided great cover for me. Early on in my time at TAC, some luck, some determination, my mark was made both with the most senior leaders in the command and the chief of staff of the Air Force. My name certainly was out there, thankfully, in a good way. I root myself in the lessons learned at the cheese factory as a teenager. Lean forward and good things will come. It's not about trying to get up that next run of the ladder. Your performance will do that for you. After just a short time at TAC, less than two years, I was made the acting division chief during an extended vacancy, and that was during the period that I had to develop the plan that integrated the two commands for both branches in the division. One day I'm sitting at the office typewriter. The typewriter was in the main area of the office, and I had to update my security clearance form. I'm finishing up and, of course, had to review it. Wait, I typed my age and I typed my birth date. Yeah, I know why do forms ask for both. They can just do the math. Anyway, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can add. And the math doesn't work. Since I usually fib about my age and have since I was in my 20s, when you tell the story enough times, it's a reality, right? Well, just not on a security clearance form. In the spring of 1991, General Russ retired and General Lowe arrives. It was very cool to see my first change of command for a four-star general up close and actually be part of it. There is a tradition in the military, and you may have seen these on TV. When the change of command occurs, the guidon, or unit flag, is passed from one officer to the next by the officer one level above. Then, the departing officer has a chance to say a few words, and let me just add, it is to be of very few words. Like they see at a wedding, it's the bride's day. Well, it's the new commander's day in this case. After his or her brief remarks, the old commander walks off the stage, out of the room, and in this case, at the time, General Russ had a prized red Mustang. He walked off the podium with his wife, got into his little red Mustang, and drove off. It was awesome. By chance, the event was in the early evening, and it was like this public servant who rose to the highest military grade drove off into the sunset. General Lowe came to tack, soon to be ACC, from the Air Force's number two position at the Pentagon, and it was to help send the message that the transition into the new command was not a takeover. In 1990, I get a call from Ken. Their fourth child was arriving soon, and he asked me if I would be the godfather. Wow, what an honor. Of course, I said yes, and that summer, Bethany arrived. I know, I guess being a godparent doesn't mean that they're named after you. 
Growing up in those early years, I enjoyed watching her grow up and, of course, still very proud of her. And there'll be more on that a bit later. Well, it's not just peculiar to the military. Since we move so often all over the world, we make connections and some of them are lifelong connections. I've always tried to keep at arm's length from work and my personal life. And yet Ken muscled his way into my orbit and I'm grateful that he did. In hindsight, I don't know if it was because early on I didn't know whether I was gay or not, and part of it was that I did throw myself into my career and education as a priority. The merger is complete, and we are now Air Combat Command. MWR and services are its own directorate and out from under personnel, and I was the first CGO of the quarter for the new Deputy Chief of Staff for MWR and service. By this time... Colonel Horney also retired. It was a very sad day. The event was held at his home, and he was more than a mentor to me. He gave me so many opportunities, well above my pay grade, and he looked out for me. He protected me in some ways. I kind of think like Colonel Gridian did back in Red Horse. You know that there have been many rainstorms in my life as an Asian American. And in hindsight, I think in some ways, I may have benefited by being taken under the wings of some amazing leaders because of that. And Colonel Horney was one of them. I dedicate this episode to him. We'll see you next week.